you have your Bible, I'm going to begin this morning in Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading from the Kingdom New Testament, which is a translation that was done by um, N.T. Wright, Dr. Neil Tom Wright. Um, he's a great theologian in uh, based in England with the Church of England, but it's a really good translation. I'm beginning in verse 21. We have been following the life of Jesus, and over the last couple of weeks, noticing these disciples that he's called. Now we have six of them that have been named so far. In verse 21, with these six in tow, verse 21, they went to Capernaum. At once, on the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue and taught. They were astonished at his teaching. He wasn't like the legal teachers. He said things on his own authority. All at once, in their synagogue, there was a man with an unclean spirit. What business have you got with us, Jesus of Nazareth, he yelled. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are God's holy one. Be quiet, ordered Jesus, and come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsed and gave a great shout and came out of him. Everyone was astonished. Now, in your translations, it might say amazed, but it's you get the point. What's this? They started to say to one another, new teaching with real authority? He even tells the unclean spirits what to do, and they do it. Word about Jesus spread at once all over the surrounding district of Galilee. What is this? The title that I've given the message this morning uh, is When Jesus Came to Church. 2007, I had a privilege of being able to travel uh, and minister in the northeast of India. And it took a very, very long time to get there because, you know, it's the other side of the world. After landing uh, there, in, we, we flew into the city of Guwahati. We had to ride a taxi five hours to the city of Shillong in the northeast. And it was just an amazing, amazing time. And the group of us that came together, there were eight of us all together. Two of them, uh, two of our friends stayed in Shillong for a little bit longer, wanted to stay there because... Our friend, he had uh, done a, a, a youth with a mission outreach there, and he wanted to just stay and, and cultivate some friendships that he'd had and connect, reconnect, that kind of thing. And so uh, suddenly I was appointed to help lead this group of six back. Now, I should mention that we purchased our airline tickets. Now, this is 2007 when the interwebs was really just like really taking hold. And so... I had found this website before the days of, like, finding out what kind of website it is. I just found this website, and I, I think it's still in existence. And anyway, I, I don't use it anymore. But uh, on this particular website, they advertised airfares like, whoa, that's really cheap. Get on the other side of the world. And so we're like, hey, you know what? The time is here. It's done. Let's do this. So we purchased our tickets. God made provision. It was an amazing story. But, oh, wait a second. 
I didn't really pay attention to how they put those tickets together. As we flew out of Chicago, we flew into, where did we connect? Oh, we flew into, uh, into London and then into Calcutta and then to Guwahati. And then we got on a taxi. Now on the way back, we didn't come back the same way. We took our five hour taxi ride. And again, you know, 10 days of glorious ministry. Got up early in the morning, take this taxi ride. It was more of like, a, I mean, it, you were talking about an all-day event just to get checked in. Got to Guwahati, got on an, I believe it was an Air India flight to Delhi, where we were going to connect to a flight to Amman, Jordan, back then to Chicago. But after purchasing the tickets, noticed we have an overnight in Delhi. We land at 10. The next flight out is in the morning. Ah, you know what? We'll get a hotel. It'll be fine. Great. And I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say it was at least a week or more when a friend of mine said, hey, Ben, I noticed that you said you're flying through Delhi. He grew up in India. He said, do you understand there are two airports in Delhi? I said, what? I look. We land in the domestic airport, the old domestic airport of Delhi. We're flying out of the international airport in New Delhi. Now we're landing and we have to go across this city in a country that I'm not familiar with. It went, that speaks a language that most of the time that I don't know. They, the English that they speak can be very challenging to hear. Those of you who call call centers know what I'm talking about. Anyways, so we're you know we 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 we're having to try to figure out. Oh my goodness, how's this going to happen? Again, I go on the internet and I found a solution. This has been, you know, thinking he was pretty smart. He found a website that said, we'll take care of transfers between the airports and a hotel. Bingo. Book it. Done. We get off the flight. We come out of the airport in old, at the old domestic airport now that I think has been torn down. Okay. We're coming out of the airport. If you have been in this part of the world or say any part of a developing country where there are, say, lots of people hustling hard for any kind of dollars that are going to be spent, you'll know what I'm going to describe, about to describe. We step out of the doors of the airport, and there are no less than 50 people yelling at me and reaching, literally reaching to get a hold of me, and I'm trying to find out where is our driver. And I had been notified we will have a driver. And I found a dude that looked like it was it. And I walked up to him. And he said, oh, yes. Okay, got you. Put you in. The, oh, we can't take all of you. We need a second cab. I said, you sure? Yeah, we need a second cab. They drive us. Guess where they drove us now? They drove us to downtown, old town, Delhi, across from the railroad, the old central railroad of Delhi. Now I'm driving in the middle of the night in a city that I don't know with people who speak a language I don't know, and I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? We finally get to the hotel. As I begin to check in with the, the man at the, at the counter at the lobby, I have these cab drivers hollering at me as we're walking in. And I said to the man, this is all included. He said, oh, no, 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 with a smile on his face. No, sir, no, sir. Oh, we couldn't possibly do that. What we meant was transfers are available. You need to pay them. 
It's like, oh, no, I hope I have enough rupees in my pocket. So I didn't, but he arranged to get us paid, charged it on a card. I'm just feeling all this angst and anxiety going on. I, we're, we're crawling into our room now. It's, you know, the idea was 15-minute ride, get to a hotel. Now it's like 12.30, pushing 1 o'clock in the morning. I get a phone call from this same lobby manager who said, oh, Mr. Bowers, you're going to the international airport. You don't understand the international airport. I'm pretty sure the, the queues and the lines are very, very long. You'll need to leave here at 4. I've already ordered the cars for you. I said, thank you. After a nap, we got up, got into these cars, driving across town again. I, I mean, it was one of the strangest out-of-body experiences I've ever had. We're driving down. We finally arrive at the airport, and it was misty and cold and you know, foggy and all this So we arrive at the airport, and people are sleeping outside on the sidewalk. We walk in. And we're greeted by something I cannot tell. I just inability for me to rightly express to you this airport experience because there were humans everywhere. And we're trying to find where do we check in? So finally I found, oh, right over here is where we check in. So we stand in line to check in for a very, very long time only to have someone come up and say, you follow me now. We're taking you over here. I said, why? You come with us. Okay, we go over to the other counter. Now we're in another long line, waiting and waiting and waiting, only to get to the counter to have the lady say, oh, you didn't scan your bags. You need to go over there and scan your bags. Now my anxiety level is beginning to rise. I'm looking at the time. I have a group of people. I don't want to not get home. And so we go to this old x-ray machine to where our luggage is supposed to be scanned and we're standing in the line as we're standing in the line i'm noticing that the attendant for the x-ray machine has been taking well you know tips from certain individuals that would come up and hand them a few rupees and suddenly they got up to the front of the line and i didn't have any rupees and i thought just be patient just be patient wait 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 it's my turn to put my bag on the conveyor belt. I put my bag on the conveyor belt right about the time that a man walked up with a few rupees for the attendant who took my bag and pulled it to the side. Then something happened in that moment that I am sorry to have to tell you about. It was like an outer body experience. Suddenly, suddenly something began to happen. Um, not only is my heart beating, but now everything in me has lost all restraint to which I grabbed this man's bag, pulled it to the side, took mine with a firm and, and exerting voice said, no, we've waited long enough, my bag. And to which the man, the Hindi man turned to me with an even louder voice shouting at me in a language I don't know and said, you stand back, you know, pushing me back, to which I thought, am I going to come to blows with this guy? And almost part of me thought that might be reasonable. And then I remembered I have five people watching me. And as I'm standing there, now my hands are shaking. 
not because I'm scared, but because my adrenaline is really going. On comes this man's bags. I take a few deep breaths, put ours through, and I'm shaking my head. I'm so frustrated. Get back, check in. Now we've got to get to another line to get in through the actual security to finally get to the gate. We finally get to the gate like 15 minutes before the flight is supposed to take off, and they still weren't inviting us onto the plane, to which finally at this point now I am so remorseful. And, and I, I turn to these five people. Oh, wait a second. These five people who watched me literally lose my mind. One of them was my son. And, and I, I turned and had to apologize. I was so embarrassed how I let anxiety get a hold of me. I'd lost my patience. I'd raised my voice. I'd, I'd like powered up. At the end of a ministry trip, with the very people I had gone to minister to. Now, I tell that story because it was one, I can tell it and kind of laugh at myself at this point. Other times are not quite so laughable, but there have been other unfortunate times in my life when the truth is, I'd become a, like this man in today's story. Here's my point. Someone who's out of his mind. Someone with an unclean spirit. Not convulsing with demonic oppression, but clearly not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Not under the control of the Spirit of Jesus. Demanding my way. See, that word unclean, means a wrong mixture. So, and let me be really clear. Let me sidebar and make this very, very clear. There is such a thing as, as being demonized, uh, and, but, but here's something to chew on. There is very little difference. Biblically speaking, Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. He says, you know, the servant of the Lord must be uh, 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 humble and able to teach, and, and, and he, otherwise he, he can, dealing with those who have been taken captive by the adversary to do his will. So here's what this verse means in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. You don't have to be a devil worshiper to live with an unclean attitude. Just You just have to be surrendered to another spirit other than the spirit of Jesus. Flesh, the adversary, and, oh, yeah, you know, 10 days of leading church. And what happens? Well, had church really gotten a hold of me? Um, part of my own growth, by the way, over these last several years has been the recognition that our repentance, our invitation to repentance is far more than just recognizing our failings. The, our repentance that Jesus invites us to is to begin to notice the places of our life that have had begun to that that have uh, been a foundation of mixture that have we've lived for something other than the Spirit of Jesus in our life. And, and again, part of my growth has been 
beginning to recognize things in my life, in my community, in my country. That mixture exists and has existed, and I didn't even notice. It just seemed normal. You know, one of the things that that was difficult for me was when I apologized to my son, to my friends who were with me, while they were intending to be reassuring, one of them said something to me like this, well, um, it, you know, I understand. It kind of seems normal. Didn't seem, you didn't seem that out of normal to me. There are spaces in ways that we have lived life. Listen to this. This, this is worth, this will take a minute. Sometimes it takes a minute. In our life, in the world around us, that feel normal, that are not the spirit of Jesus. Things like racial injustice, male patriarchy, white privilege. We become so, they become so normal in the world that I grew up in that I didn't notice until I begin to sit and think. Now, I, uh, this is easy for me to point back 30, you know, 40 years, something like that. Folks, think about this. People went to church on a bus that was separated by color, and it seemed normal. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? And, and it's okay for us to begin to say, what, Lord, you know, everything seems normal. Maybe it's better than it was, but is it Jesus? There's the question. See, part of the reason Jesus came is to reveal what normal actually is. And how do we live it? And, and the, the beautiful part of the invitation to repent is you can inhabit it. The first words that Mark records of Jesus coming out of his mouth is it's, it's the time to rethink. It's the time to repent, to change your mind, to turn from what? From what seems normal. To live not as every other human being, but to live as actual human beings. Here's a vision. To live as God intended that I would live in my humanity. Loved, cherished by him, representing him. What happens when Jesus comes to church? The opportunity to see what's true. That's our invitation. Um, the Holy One has come. I know who you are. Well, man, he's all about, he's trying to point out who's good and who isn't. No, actually, his point was to silence the confusion, be quiet, the noise that's there, the, the confusion and the condemnation to deliver these confused, mixed-up messages uh, about our life and to invite us into our right mind, into our right life, and to live whole lives. And, beloved, that is good news. Out of our mind. Well, I was there. I've been there, living in something that, dare I say, or surrounded by the same. 
here's the gospel, beloved. Let's remember this. We've got to continue to proclaim this. God has come not only to be recognized, but that and, and that he would forgive us of sin, but to hold up for us a mirror of ourselves. Colossians 3.10, we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image, and that word literally could mean a mirror of its creator, that, that when we look in the face of Jesus, you, you remember the dream that God has in Genesis 1, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the unseen, uncreated God said, uh, we're going to make man to be image bearers so that something is going to become visible on the earth that that the God, uncreated God, and unseen God is going to become visible in these beings. Not, not, not that we're gods. Don't mess me here. I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to say is that the, the, the vision that we've were given and the vision that we often want to attain to is so despairingly different. Um, you know, we get a vision of repentance, of the idea that it, it is about, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I'm going to get to this in a little while later, but repentance is, beloved, far more than just forgive me, forgive me of my sin and try to get a hold of God to get him to do what I think he needs to do. Repentance is about understanding what how I have seen myself completely messed up. Jesus, Mark chapter 1, six disciples in tow. Now, I'm using the phrase that he went to church. Where did he go? He went to the synagogue. What was the synagogue? Well, the synagogue was church. Now, uh, this is an interesting text because in my Pentecostal background, we had an image for this about when we heard about teachings about demonized individuals or those that we've dealt with that that dealt with demonic oppression and and for me initially when i began you know i came out of a sort of traditional background i began to hang around some charismatics i was like it was now i have come to understand there's nothing that you need to be scared of when you realize that when confronting an evil spirit is no contest for jesus the jesus in you the jesus in me so jesus in, encounters this man with an unclean spirit and, and often, here's the, my point, is the image that we have of this text is that it's all about this power encounter. So, like, the dude that we were trying to get to come to church, you know, kept, keeps going to the bar. He's got, his life is a mess. We're trying to get him saved. And he got near Jesus and power encounter. I would like to invite you to the text because... As I spent some time in the text this week, I went, oh, wow. See, when you look at the text, the first unnerving thing that Mark reveals in the story is that Jesus wasn't at the bar. Where was he? In the church. He was in the synagogue. And the synagogue in the first century, by the way, the, the, uh, the synagogue of Capernaum was just the, the foundations of what were just discovered about 40 years ago, actually there, the one where Jesus was at. So, uh, let's see, feasts and festivals and all the big celebrations took place in Jerusalem because the temple is still there in the first century, right? So uh, what was the purpose of the synagogue? Well, the purpose of the synagogue was we're going to get, we're going to, we're going to commit to three things. We're going to read the scripture, primarily the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament. We're going to read the law of God. We're going to pray. What are we going to pray? Well, they're going to pray the Psalms because those, that's the prayer book 
of, of God's people. Jesus prayed prayers out of the Old Testament, out of this, out of Psalms. And, and then they're going to give their tithes and their offerings as commanded by the law. So what are they doing? Oh, wait, we do that. They're, they're, so these primarily, these three things that they're, now it becomes other things as the temple is destroyed, it becomes other things. But my point is that it's, this is where Jesus was in the synagogue, in church. Now, look at the text. Where was the man? Was he at the pub? He was in church. And I'm just going to give him a name. We're going to call him Jacob. Seems like a good Jewish name, right? Jacob's in church. And, and I want you to ponder this for a moment. Jacob is in church doing what Jacob does. He's going there to hear the law of God's read, to pray prayers, to give his tithes, because Jacob has a view about God that he needs to get God's attention. He has lack in his life, and he needs to do something to get a hold of God and get him to come near. God's come near him. Now, I want you to notice something here that is just really, really fascinating. If I read Mark's account, Jacob, and the way that he lived, probably not his first time in church. It's so familiar, so normal. Hey, Jacob, how's it going? Shalom. Shh, church is about to start. Uh, Jacob had some quirky things going on in his life, but that's just Jacob. It's normal. He's not unlike other people I know. Here's what's glaring in the text. Who was astonishing? Not Jacob, but Jesus. The one that astonishes them is not the guy who's yelling but the man who's teaching. And he's teaching differently. Now, apparently it's not the same rehearsal of the Scripture. Stop doing bad stuff. Here's the Ten Commandments. No other gods. No other gods, Jack. No other gods. No other gods. No other gods. Actually, Jesus begins to say, I, I have a great command for you. Jack, love God. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, love your enemy. Jacob's sitting there saying, whoa, whoa, why? whoa, what? What is this? Forgive your enemies. Okay, how, how much, Jesus? Seventy times seven. It's fingers. Bless those who curse you. Blessed, oh, by the way, blessed are the poor. These guys that you like to put up in the front row, the wealthy and the rich that you believe I are actually favored of God. That was an actual core Jewish thought in the first century. You got stuff, God's got you. Oh, wait, I've heard that before. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers. Wait a minute. 
wait a minute, peacemakers, yeah, lay down your sword. Now, and, and his teaching is astonishing. I don't, you know, I'm only gleaning off of what the other gospel accounts give me in the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon by the Sea. Jesus says the kingdom is where? It's within you. It's not out there somewhere. It's not when we're going to get... Uh, you know, roam out of the way. It's it's inside of you. And and wait a minute, Jesus, just give me the greatest commandment of them all. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Finally, Jacob can't take it anymore, and he blurts out, what business do you have with me? You're messing with how I see the world. I don't think we're far off here. Jacob was a church member, and Jesus is astonishing. The man came to church. He encounters Jesus uh, talking about a way of living, not just a way of religious experience, knowledge that you gain, ties that you... He's, and this, his mixture rises up like, oh, my goodness, are you saying... I you can't digest it even in one moment longer. So can I just point out something very, very important? That to figure out what was unclean was not discerned by trying to figure out the devil's schemes, but by Jesus talking about the heart of the Father. And who we actually are called to be. If our preoccupation is with what? I mean, boy, that world out there is so evil. As Jesus is teaching, Jacob can't sit in his mixture. Uh, can I can can't I just say a prayer and hold on to my lust? Can't I just can't I just give my tithe and harbor resentment? What business do you have with us? Jesus reply, everything. He didn't say that, by the way, but he says it with his life. Here's why I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That isn't just a lost little lamb, remember? What, he seek, what, is, he, what is he restoring? Man to his rightful relationship with God and his right relationship to restore humanity, to silence the noising, confusing lies. When Jesus went to church, this just still stuns me. It wasn't Jacob that was unusual, but Jesus. And, and he's not coming to replace the law and the prophets. Don't misunderstand me. He's coming. He's coming to proclaim, I'm here to fulfill it. Um. I was doing some reading on this text this last week from a pastor, and he's, it, it bears repeating. So I'm just going to read a few cu couple of paragraphs and then bring us to a close. But he says, you know, it, it seems to me the more that we look at our life and our world, the stranger the good news begins to sound. You want me to love my enemies? I can't do that. Don't you know what they've done? And, and I've come to realize that's more of a statement about having an unclean spirit than it is about the gospel. It's a symptom of our own self-alienation. Uh, my wife and I were 
teaching, leading a class this last week and had a friend of ours who said, you know, when she went into the convent, one of the comments that was made to her was, she's not there anymore, by the way, but she, one of the comments made to her was, the old person has got to complete, you were doing away with the old person. Now, I get it. I understand scripture says we die to ourselves. I get that. But what, what gets missed in it is that the person that God created her to be, meaning that how would Jesus live in you if he were you? That's, oh, far more than just forgiving me of my mistakes, but that God could be represented. See, we've forgotten who we actually are, the life we're in invited to live. So the tragedy of the alienation and the self-estrangement is this. We tend to let the most familiar, craziest voices among us speak for us. And so we're no longer surprised when the demonic shows up. I'm talking about the attitudes that deny human dignity, the powers that destroy life, self-interest, greed that refuses to see a common and independent life. We may not like it, but we're not surprised when it's on the news. Almost every day. Another terrorist bombing, another mass shooting, another scandal. We let the outer voices have greater influence on in our life than the deep inner voice of truth. And we lose a little bit of ourselves. We forget what's actually true, good, and beautiful. Oh, Jesus Christ, to me, the hope of glory. So the good news this morning with this message, Jesus went to church in Mark 1. He's still coming to church in our synagogue. Not to condemn but to silence the noise that's hindered our understanding of who we actually are. Cherished, valued sons and daughters of God. Lord, what, what, what does that look like? Now, I alluded to this a while ago. Mark 1.15, repent. Part of repentance is so much more than just saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my failure. See, uh, oftentimes I think about this, the way that I interpreted my relationship with God was, Lord, I want to be fully repentant for my messed up mistakes that I know about. And then, and then, Lord, I, I want to get as much certain knowledge that I have about you and display moral purity in front of you so that I can get you involved in my life. So we had this idea somehow that we're doing these things in order to get God to do what he otherwise won't do. Jesus is whispering into my ear, what he said on the cross, I've already done everything that needs to be done. The place I'm, see, I, I, I saw some meme that somebody posted this couple, the last couple of weeks, you know, you say a five cent prayer and you want a million dollar answer. I get what they're trying to say, but it communicates that transactional idea that we have with God. I've got I've to put enough coins in so I can get God to do what I need him to do. When God is saying, actually, what I'm trying to confront is what you're believing inside of you. You're my loved value. You can't be any more loved than you are right now. That I can actually begin to say that Old Testament. Certain, you, by the way, the Old Testament Lord's Prayer, you know which one it is? It's the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So I can say at the beginning of the day, I'm content, cared for, I'm secure. Now, Lord, confront, help, 
by your spirit confront the voices that are stirring inside of me. Um, so how, how do we do this repentance thing? That I can begin to say, oh, Lord, this isn't about me trying to get a hold of you. It's you getting hold of me. It's forming me. Three things I'm going to throw at us really fast. Number one, Matthew 17, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's Moses and Elijah, and uh, they represent the law and the prophets, right? <clears throat> Remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. But there's a voice that comes from the cloud that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Here's the inference, not them. Now, I'm not suggesting we throw away the law and the prophets, but I'm saying that I listen to the voice of Jesus. Lord, I want to live as the person Jesus intended that I would be if he were me. I want to listen to his words, the perfect representation of the Father, that love would be displayed in me. Listen to him. Number two, okay, what, what is he saying? I shared this a minute ago. What he's saying is, I, I'm done. I'm finished. And his his. His passion is to silence these whispers going on in my head that make me want to power up, okay? And oftentimes when we have these ideas that somehow change has to come, and we even theologically have these views of God, like, you know, whoa, power and watch out punishment. But Jesus' invitation is surrender, open-handed, it's finished. John's at the very end of his life. What does he hear in heaven? Behold, I'm making Everybody who's hungry and thirsty, come to me. I'll give you something to eat. I'll give you something to drink. What did he say in his life? He said, if you're tired, worn out, burned out, come to me. I'll give you rest. Why is that? Because I'm meek and I'm gentle. You'll find rest for your souls. Jesus Jesus, I need to hear your whisper that's thundering from eternity. I'm enough. Oh, wait a minute. So I don't have to fix the stuff around me? The biggest issue is I need to surrender to the fact that you're right here with me, right where I'm at in it? Yes. So we're on our meeting denise and i were and happened to, we happened that we we're leading the meeting on zoom and one of our friends asked the question she said uh, we're talking about this word perfection what's the goal again like of the christian life of maturity perfection and so we were bantering back and forth and and here's the answer that i my wife offered that i i think is really really good I said, I made the statement, you know, the goal is union with God, but Denise said it very much better. She said, the goal is wholeness, surrendering to wholeness. Uh, it was the Danish theologian and philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, who summed it up really well with this simple prayer, one that I've begun to pray this week. It says, with God's help, I will become myself. I'm not talking about self-centered stuff. Don't miss, that's not being said here. But this is gospel, Lord, I, that, that surrendered and partnered with you. That see, Jesus encounters, every, every time he encounters his scared friends and after the resurrection, what does he say to them? Don't be afraid. 
you, you can live unafraid. As I pray that prayer of the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 23, you're my shepherd, I lack nothing. So, Lord, the goal of my life is shalom wholeness, nothing lacking, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything whole and at peace. I can proclaim that his intent is that I would live and actually experience a human life, to live as a human being representing him upon the earth that I could live in peace and joy today. And what does that look like? Jesus, we're living my life today. Well, Scripture says it looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. It looks like the work of the Spirit in me that I can begin to surrender and say, Lord, let nothing disturb me. All those things that disturb me, I bring before you. I began to pray this prayer over the last couple of weeks or more from St. Teresa the Villa almost every day. Here's a simple prayer. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. Beloved, here is good news this morning. With God's help, I will become myself today. What happens when Jesus comes to church? Well, it's the opportunity to see what is true. The Holy One has come, but He's come to silence the other noise, the mixed-up noise, and to make us whole. Amen and amen. I want to invite